Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Did you experience a dramatic conversion to the Christian faith? Can you name the exact time and place when you first believed? Or have you been a Christian all your life? And does it make a difference? Join us for the message, Alive to God's Presence. Good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. A question. Did you experience a dramatic conversion to the Christian faith? Can you name the exact time and place when you first believed? Or have you more or less been a Christian all your life? And does it make a difference which answer you give? Well, we're exploring that later in our message, Alive to God's Presence. This is the Word of God. First scripture comes from Ezekiel 36, 23b through 28. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when through you I display my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will spiritually clean water upon you. I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and then all your idols I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and make you follow my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. Then you shall live in the land that I gave to your ancestors, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Our second scripture comes from John 3, verses 1 through 8. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that your teacher has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished when I say, said to you, You must be born again born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. Now, though he was the founder of Methodism, for his entire life, John Wesley remained a priest in the Church of England, also known as the Anglican Church. And as a young man, he was educated at Oxford University. And while he was there, he and his brother Charles joined with other young men to form what they called the Holy Club. Now, the Holy Club at Oxford was the diametrically opposed polar opposite of a college fraternity. The Holy Club sought, sought to refrain themselves from the frivolous pleasures of their classmates. So instead of drinking and partying, the Holy Club met together to pray and read scripture, which is the diametrically opposed polar opposite of most college fraternities. 
Now, in their spare time, they gave alms to the poor, and they tried to help those who had fallen on hard times. Their more carefree classmates made fun of them by calling them Methodists for the very methodical way that they went about doing good by organizing, by the way, every minute of their day. As Wesley trained for the priesthood, he harbored this dream of going off to the colonies in America and converting the natives, or as he called them, the heathens, to Christianity. And his, he and his younger brother Charles set sail for Georgia in 1735. Once they reached Georgia, John became the parish priest of Savannah, Georgia. And while there, he rarely encountered an Indian and never succeeded in converting a single one of them to Christianity. But while he worked as a priest, he fell in love with a young woman in his congregation named Sophia Hopke. And he considered asking her to marry him, but he kind of drug his feet because he feared that having a wife would detract him from his mission and his ministry. And so Sophia, tired of waiting, married another man. Wesley was crushed. In his anguish, he refused to serve Sophia Holy Communion when she presented herself that next Sunday. This enraged the congregation, and Wesley had to make a quick getaway back to England. Upon his return, Wesley fell into a great depression, what, I mean, what now would certainly be labeled a clinical depression. He felt like an utter failure in his career and in his life, and he felt just this weight of God's judgment upon his shoulders. Well, one evening he decided to go to the Vespers service at St. Paul's Cathedral in London. And though he didn't really want to go, afterwards his friends talked him into attending a Bible study that was located on Aldersgate Street. Once there, he listened as the preface to Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans was read out loud. And Luther's words began to resonate with Wesley, and as he listened, he heard about how we are saved through faith and not through our works not, uh, and in spite of our failures. And suddenly, as the, as the story goes, he felt his heart strangely warmed as he realized that even his sins and his failures were now forgiven. And he later wrote, it pleased God to kindle a fire which I trust shall never be extinguished. And it never was, because from that humble beginning, Wesley then went on to ignite the Methodist movement throughout Britain and eventually back to America. For many years after his experience on Aldersgate Street, Wesley maintained that before that night he had not truly been a Christian, even though he was a priest of the Church of England. And he maintained that for many, many years. In his later years, however, he softened his view. And he came to see that he was a Christian prior to Aldersgate, if a very immature Christian. And he began to see his experience there on Aldersgate as the greatest of many milestones that marked the arc of his Christian life. Now, there are a variety of words that people could use to describe Wesley's experience that evening on Aldersgate. Some would say that he was saved, that he was justified, or that he was born again or reborn or born from above. Others would, can, would say 
and affirm that, that that was the night he became a Christian, or that was the night that he finally accepted Christ. And we often hear people say, particularly here in the Bible Belt, we hear people talk about how they have accepted Christ into their heart, which is a great thing. But I've always thought that perhaps it was a little more theologically correct to say that we've accepted the Holy Spirit into our hearts. But of course, since the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, that is true. But it's the Holy Spirit that really now resides with us here on earth, filling us and equipping us for the kingdom. And over the rest of the summer, we're going to be exploring the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit functions in our lives. Because the Holy Spirit is nothing less than this gift of God's very presence among us and within us as we live out all the days of our lives. And the Holy Spirit is not just present when we have what could be called a religious or a spiritual experience. The Spirit is constantly active in every aspect of our daily lives. And this is true whether we are aware of this presence or not. But I will say the more present we are to the presence of the Holy Spirit, then the greater the adventure that the Holy Spirit can make out of our lives. It is in and through the Spirit that we experience grace. And indeed, often in both Scripture and in our own conversation, we can sometimes freely substitute or interchange the words grace and Holy Spirit one for the other without really changing the meaning of the sentence. To experience the Holy Spirit is to experience then what John Wesley called the prevenient, justifying, and sanctifying grace of God. Now, anyone who asks for the grace of God will receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? But because of the gift of free will, which God has also given us, God is not going to force that gift of the Holy Spirit upon us. But that may raise a question. So is the Holy Spirit only present when we ask to receive the Spirit? Isn't the Holy Spirit always and everywhere present, or as we sometimes say, omnipresent? And so the answer then is yes, the Spirit is always present. But it is helpful to remember uh, how we use wind to symbolize the Holy Spirit. Because like the atmosphere, this air that we breathe, the Spirit is always there as close as our own breath. But there are going to be times when you feel a breeze or a strong wind or maybe even a hurricane. And then you'll certainly take notice of the air that otherwise always surrounds us. The air is always there whether we're conscious of it or not, just as the atmosphere is. And likewise, the Holy Spirit is always there, but there are times when we become keenly aware that we are in the Spirit's presence. And in those moments, we may say that the Holy Spirit has come to us or that the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon us. I've also heard a story, I'll share a different day, but someone saying, told me how they felt the Holy Presence leave a room where people were saying very racist things. Like Wesley, the Spirit may manifest as a heart strangely warmed, or like on the day of Pentecost, as a mighty wind that's swooshing over our heads and allotting tongues of fire over them. As Jesus said, as Kathy read, 
The wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with anyone born of the Spirit. So how does the Holy Spirit make us alive to then and aware of the presence of God? Well, first of all, the Holy Spirit draws us to God, but in a way that is unique to each one of us. Because each one of us, we have different histories, we have different personalities, different attitudes. And God takes that into account as the Spirit reaches out to us. And that's why we all have different stories about how the Holy Spirit has been at work in our lives. And I've used this illustration before, but I think it's such a great illustration, I'm going to use it again because it really applies to what we're talking about today as we encounter the Holy Spirit. Imagine two men. Both have been happily married for years, and each is still deeply in love with his wife. The first one tells the story about how he was at a party one night when the most beautiful woman in the world walked into the room, and the man was stricken by love at first sight. And after a whirlwind romance, they were married after only six months. Now, the second man tells how he and his wife grew up next door to each other. There'd never been a time in their lives when they did not know one another. And slowly, over the years, their love grew until they knew that they wanted to spend the rest of their lives together. And so after already knowing each other for their entire lives, they married and pledged the rest of their lives together. So one fell in love at first sight, and one can't remember a time when he didn't know his wife. So which man loved his wife more? It's impossible to say. Likewise, some of us can tell dramatic stories about how we came to Jesus after living a desolate life of sin. Others of us can't remember a time when we weren't followers of Jesus Christ. So who loves Christ more? It's impossible to say. What's amazing is that the Holy Spirit can work in each human life in such very different ways to wake up people to the presence of God, to awaken in us a hunger for God and an inward desire to turn from our sin and then to live lives that are acceptable to God. And this is what we Methodists mean when we talk about provenient grace. It's that grace and presence of the Holy Spirit that surrounds us from the moment of our birth and continuously draws us into relationship with God. Now, if you're a person who doesn't have a dramatic conversion story, sometimes you may feel a little inadequate. What if you can't remember a specific time when you finally said yes to the Spirit? Well, I will say in this case, if you're feeling inadequate about that, that ask yourself right now, is your heart turned to Christ and are you consciously seeking to follow Christ? Then I would say you got converted, even if you can't remember exactly how or why or when. Now, having said that, however, the second way that the Holy Spirit makes us alive to and aware of the presence of God is by allowing us at some point to respond to the good news for ourselves. There comes a time when the gospel penetrates our consciousness, enables us to see ourselves in this story of salvation. And this point of response can take several different forms. We may experience a sudden awareness of the majesty of the creator while we're out basking in that creation. Maybe some sort of a parable or saying of Jesus suddenly pierces our hearts. 
we may feel overwhelmed at some point when we think about the love Jesus had for us as he died on the cross. And the story of the resurrection may inspire us to recognize how Christ offers newness of life. And it could be the life and the witness of a parent or a mentor or a friend that awakens us to the realities of God. So even if you've been a follower of Christ all of, even if we've been a uh, Christ follower all of our lives, there still comes that moment when we accept the gift of salvation for ourselves. And not because our parents are Christians, not because we come from a Christian family, not because we've gone to church all our lives, but because we have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Which is one of my favorite hymns. Even the man who grew up next door to his wife still experienced that one moment when he realized that his feelings had grown to something more than just friendship. And so this is what we Methodists then call justifying grace. It's the grace and presence of the Holy Spirit that allows us to respond, to respond individually to God's invitation and receive that gift of forgiveness and new life in Christ. The third way that the Holy Spirit makes us alive to and aware of the presence of God is by entering our hearts and transforming our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. We, re we receive a spiritual heart transplant. Again, as Kathy read from the prophet Ezekiel, a new heart I will give you and a new spirit I will put within you and I'll remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and make you follow my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. Well, when the Spirit's heart, uh, with the Spirit's heart transplant, we begin to fall more and more in love with God and therefore better able to love each other. We desire more and more to live that kind of life that Jesus modeled for us. But I gotta warn you, because there's one big difference between a medical heart transplant and a spiritual heart transplant. The spiritual heart transplant is not completed by a single surgery. In contrast, it takes a lifetime to complete this heart transplant. So this is what we Methodists then call sanctifying grace. It's the grace and presence of the Holy Spirit that works within our hearts, transforming us into the full image of God and giving, this, giving us, as Paul would say, the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. So in a sense, our conversions to Christianity are never made complete in this lifetime. Essential then to our ongoing sanctification is our return time and again to the act of repentance. And as most of you know, repentance as defined is when we, st we stop on the path we're going, realize we're going in the wrong direction, then we turn and we start going in a different direct direction and we proceed on a new course. And so this, this requires the constant reevaluation of our lives. As the Spirit allows us to grow closer and closer to God, the Spirit continues to reveal areas in our lives in which we have failed to give our lives completely over to Christ. I have found that as we grow spiritually, the Holy Spirit is very helpful and reveals to us pockets of sin in which we were previously unaware. So if you're like me, just as you've congratulated yourself on some new area of personal and spiritual growth, 
then the spirit reveals another deeper level of sin which now you must deal with. You can think of justifying grace as the spirit coming in and breaking up that heart of stone while sanctifying grace excises each stone one at a time, piece by piece, over your entire life. As the Sufi mystic Hazrat Inyat Khan said, God breaks the heart again and again until it stays open. Now another way to think about this is a return to our analogy of the two men both in love with their wives. Anyone who has been married over a long period of time will know that there will be times in your life when you feel as if you have fallen out of love with your spouse. But experience shows that if you remain committed, chances are that you'll eventually fall back in love with your spouse. And this can happen over and over again throughout the years. And likewise, even if we've experienced this initial wonderful conversion to Christ, there's going to come times when that light of the Spirit just grows dim in our heart, and we're feeling like we're going through just the motions of our faith. We'll need to repent then and to recommit to becoming all that God has created us to be. So, because at many times we'll have to do this over our lifetimes and we're gonna to have to find ourselves and we will find ourselves then falling in love with God once again, if we just stick with it. I think one of the best ways to move further along the road to sanctification is to participate in the means of grace. You remember the means of grace, we've talked about these. There's um, uh, the spiritual means of grace, prayer and scripture reading and worship and there are other means of grace where you go out and you do service of love to others. And so, but I want to make the point, though, that sacraments, participating in the sacraments is also part of the means of grace. And so if the Holy Spirit is then like the wind and the sacraments then are kind of like wind tunnels that make the Spirit known to us in a deep and very tangible way. Because we often think of the Holy Spirit as being spiritual, ephemeral, even ghostly. Our grandparents referred to the Holy Ghost. In the Bible, however, the Spirit continually shows a preference for the stuff of matter, including human flesh. Genesis says that the Spirit hovers over the face of creation. And we know from the Gospels that the Spirit descends upon the still wet and newly baptized body of Jesus in the form of a dove. And the Spirit seeks to enter the human heart and then is now incarnate in the body of Christ, the church. In Christianity, if a person asks how to be spiritual, our response is to say, wash yourself in the waters of baptism and then eat this bread and drink from this cup. These are very physical actions involving matter, the matter of water and bread and wine. We wash our physical bodies and then we ingest the body and blood of Christ within those physical bodies. Part of the prayer of great thanksgiving, that's the prayer I say when I consecrate the communions, when we have Holy Communion. This part is called the epiclesis. It's the part that goes this way. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. 
By your spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. And so during this great Thanksgiving prayer, we ask God the Holy Spirit to enter into the physical elements of the bread and wine, which we then ingest into our physical bodies. And then it enters into us, the church, these people with bodies who then make up the body of Christ that goes out into the world as Christ enfleshed. Let us then remain open to that outpouring of the Holy Spirit and let us give up our hearts of stone and receive instead a heart of flesh, a heart just like Jesus. Amen. And now, receive this benediction. May the love of God sustain you. May the light of Christ illumine your way. May the wind of the Spirit carry you along. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope today's service was a blessing to you. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Join us again next Sunday as we continue our sermon series, The Holy Spirit, God on Fire. You can always access our services through our website, tumcd.org, our Facebook page, our YouTube channel, and our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. If you like what you're hearing, you can also support our ministry with your gift through our website, tumcd.org. God bless you in the week ahead, and we'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.